Scripture this morning is from the third chapter of Mark. It is the calling of uh, the disciples. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. She was really wanted. I think in our lives, we don't usually get that kind of response. Occasionally, you know, we get a glimmer that someone might be interested. You know, maybe we get chosen for the team. Perhaps someone walks across the room and asks us to dance. Or I I don't know how it worked for you, but I, I went to elementary school before we were able to text. And so our preferred way of starting to find out what kind of interest there was on the other side uh, was by passing of notes. And the standard form in my school, and we were probably behind where you were in your school, but in our school, the standard form was this. You wrote a note and it said this, do you like me? And then you gave three boxes they could check. Yes, no, or if that's too much pressure, maybe. I got one too many maybes in my life. And uh, most of us uh, get a yes on occasion, but so many maybes, so many no's. And uh, so often we didn't make the team. They didn't call us over for Red Rover. Uh, We didn't get appreciated for who we were. And if you can tap into that part of your experience, then you can understand what it must have been like to be Peter or Andrew or James or John in the first century. You see, it was most every boy's dream growing up in Galilee in the first century uh, not to be a great athlete and uh, not to be a famous actor. But in Galilee, most all of them wanted to be a great and famous rabbi like Hillel, Shammai, John the Baptist, or even Jesus. And thousands, thousands would compete and they would go and interview with rabbis. I think Hillel had 120 of them. Shammai had close to 200. And it was very competitive. Thousands and thousands of kids trying to attach themselves to a rabbi. And, and so you might pass the test and the rabbi may let you in. But then you had 13 to 15 years until you you were age 30 to try to prove yourself. And at the moment that the rabbi thought, "Mm, you're not going to make it, the rabbi in a very gentle and kind way would say something like, David, you're a fine young man of God and, and you've really learned a lot about the text, but I just don't think you can be who I am and you would be cut loose. So imagine if you're in the first century and you're James and John with your father Zebedee or you're Peter and Andrew and you're not with Uh, A rabbi, what does it mean? It means one of two things. Either you never got drafted or you got drafted and then you got cut by the end of training camp, to put it in NFL terms. Uh, these, These guys are available because no great rabbi wants them. And then suddenly into a great land of no and maybe comes a yes with an exclamation point. And Jesus, rather than interviewing them for the job and having them apply, chooses them. The scripture is clear that he went to a mountainside and called those he wanted. He chose them. He said yes when all they had heard in their life was no and maybe. It must have been amazing. It explains to me why in the story of uh, Pete, uh, James and John in the boat with their father, they dropped their nets and left their father holding the nets and scrambled out of the boat and went to follow Jesus. It was because 
it was an affirmation and a chance of a lifetime. My oldest son went to a law school in, uh, in Lubbock. And uh, if he would have gotten a call his senior year from a Supreme Court justice saying, come move to Washington, D.C. and clerk with me, I would not have been touted to be left alone in Texas while he moved off. I would have saw that as an amazing opportunity. And so it was. And so Zebedee doesn't complain. And I assure you, James and John did not complain when Jesus called them and affirmed them. And saw the worth in them that maybe other people had not seen. But the problem is this. Until that happens in your life, uh, you get enough no's and maybes that you begin to think that's who you really are. That you're not a person of value or, or worth. or uh, You're not a person people really would want to know. Uh, to me, this was uh, best reflected years and years ago again. In the ancient era, during the Tonight Show, when Johnny Carson was the host. And Johnny had a, a comedian come out, and, and the comedian came out. It was kind of his persona, but he came out kind of glum, and then he sat in the chair and was kind of silent. So Johnny looks at him and says, well, George, how in the world are you? And he doesn't even look at Johnny. He looks down at the ground, and he says, Johnny, have you ever felt like the world was a tuxedo and you were a pair of brown shoes? Now, I don't know if that was his shtick or that was his life, but I guarantee you, you hear no or maybe often enough, and it starts to be your life. And you think, no one wants me. No one sees the value in me. So what do you do? Well, one of the options, at least one that, that I would choose is, okay, if you don't like me as I am, I'll change so that you can like me. I'll be whoever you think I should be. And so like chameleons, we, we begin to change our colors. Or the great Christian writer Frederick Beekner put it this way. He said, in order to please other people, we change personalities uh, like people change for the weather. And so one day we're a blue sweater of a personality. And then next day we're a light colored pair of khakis. And he said, and when we do this, putting on these facades, he said, we cover up our original shimmering self. Originally, you were created beautiful and amazing in the eyes of God. But over time, when you don't get that confirmed enough, you begin to think maybe that is not so. Get enough no's, get enough maybe's. And you begin to wonder. And so you try to think, how can I get a yes? How can I adjust my life and get a yes? And we've been talking about discipleship this winter. And one of the things that happens is a lot of us of, of Christians think the goal of discipleship is to change our personality. Because we are currently unacceptable to God and we will therefore do something to make ourselves acceptable to God. And that's completely the wrong picture. Of discipleship, if you're following Jesus in the hopes that one day he will love you, you're not going to get there. You follow in the confidence, sure and certain, that you are already loved. When, when you get on a, a path of trying to make people love you, respect you, value you, it's a long path with many twists and turns. And I assure you, the destination is no place you want to go. Uh, back in the 1920s, uh, a woman psychologist from Germany named Karen Horney immigrated from Germany to the United States and spent the 20s, late 20s, 30s, and 40s, on into the 50s, uh, working in, in the United States. Her field was uh, psychopathology. 
You know, people kind of off the uh, uh, chart in, in not healthy ways. But she said something, uh, wrote something that, that I think is very helpful. She said this. She said, if a person must become more than they are in order to be somebody, they will never be anybody. Let me try that one again. If a person has to become more than they are in order to be somebody, they will never be anybody. If you have to do something to make yourself valuable, lovable, or worth uh, proving, you're not going to get there. It's not going to happen for you. Let's say that I change my personality in some way or my actions to suit you, and you approve of me. Then do you really approve of me, or do you approve of this false self that I've presented for you? It's bad enough that we do this stuff with other people, but when we take it to our relationship with God... It just completely messes things up. Interestingly, and this is 75 years ago, the same psychologist wrote this. She said, it is persistent feelings of self-doubt and low self-worth and uh, persistent experiences of inadequacy and inferiority, she says, that lie at the root of all maladjustment. And psychopathology. In other words, when somebody gets way off the track in life, it's because they never had the sense that they were valued and loved for who they are. And even the little bit we know about folks that that run off from the UK or, or the US to join ISIS pretty well confirms it. Folks that are somehow disempowered, disenfranchised, undervalued and appreciated, looking to make that one statement... To be somebody. And of course with the result that they try to turn somebodies into nobodies with their actions. At the root of all of it is believing that we have to be someone other than ourselves to be loved. And that's not how discipleship works. Discipleship works because Jesus wants them. He chose them as they are. And then in his love for them then they grow to become even more than they are the best version of themselves. But it's not so that Jesus will love them. Let me try it another way. You've heard me from time to time quote our recovery uh, leader, Chris Estes. He says this. He said that you and I do not have to wash our hands in order to use the soap. Think about that. A lot of us think we have to clean ourselves up before God could ever forgive us. Or love us. And the call of Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Zacchaeus, you know, all, all, the, all the people that Jesus would have called as disciples or to come follow him were people who were called as they were and Jesus recognized the value in them. There are two different ways love can work in the world. One way love works is to seek value. And we see this a lot on TV and the media, and that is... Uh, I'm going to look for something of value, and then I will love them if they have enough value. If they're my rank, my ability, my talent, they fit me, or whatever, we look for that. We seek value. There's another way that love works, and that is to create value in the one who's loved. And that's the way God loves us. God's not looking uh, uh, for people of God's stature. God is loving people as they are, and that brings them to a level of value 
and worth. And discipleship starts, in my mind, and ends with this, knowing that you are loved and you're valued. But I think we buy into stories. We've had enough rejection over the year that we figure God must reject us just like everybody else. One of the reasons we're forming groups to look at James Bryan Smith's good uh, book, The Good and Perfect, um, Good and Beautiful God, is because he exposes what he calls false narratives, stuff we bought into that's really not true. And one of the false narratives is God only likes me when I get it right. Another false narrative is God is just sitting there waiting for me to screw up and then to punish me and correct me. Those aren't biblical pictures of all. These are, these are guys that are chosen by Jesus who have been rejected by the leading figures of the day. He's not waiting for them to prove themselves. He's loving them, and then they become all that they can be and all that they were meant to be. And to my mind, that's, that's the foundation of discipleship. It's being loved by Jesus And loving him in return. And so discipleship is first and foremost just a matter of things we do to hang out with Jesus and spend time with him. I've got three kids um, in, in adulthood now. And I'm very pleased when good things happen for them. One, with the help of the bank, bought a house last week. Another one uh, got accepted in, into a graduate program. And, and another has a really great job. And, and those are all good things. But that's not really what makes me the happiest. The happiest I am is when they come over and we hang out and we watch a game together or we talk about stuff going on in our lives or in the house or like the other night they texted me uh, in, in, at the end of a game. And, and I knew that we had that in common. It's just the main thing is I just, what makes me most proud and excited is just to be with them, not for them to hit certain levels of achievement. When you're with someone who loves you and you live into that love, lo and behold, you do start to hit certain levels. But that's not the goal. That's the byproduct. And so this spring, when we talk later about spiritual exercises like prayer or, or study or service uh, or worship or, or being in community, we're just talking about ways that you hang out with Jesus. When you love people, maybe you ride bikes together. Maybe you watch a certain show or movie together. Maybe you read the same books and talk about them. Maybe you, have, you share the same pet and, and, and you care for that. You, you do things together. And that's all the activities of discipleship are, things that we do to hang out with Jesus together. Not so that he will love us, but because he already loves us so deeply. And you might be tempted to object, I don't know, I've done a lot of stuff. Uh, and the Bible's pretty clear I'm a sinner. Well, there is that. But that's just a part of the story. Uh, one of the ancient uh, theologians put it this way, that when God looks at us, God does not see pond scum. If something just needs to be cleaned up or thrown away or dealt with. He said what God sees in us is a glorious ruin. Something created with unimaginable beauty and glory and worth and value. But over time, circumstances, other people, things begin to chip away at it. And then God comes in through Jesus and begins to rebuild that beauty and make it even more glorious and beautiful than before. That's what discipleship's about. 2,000 years ago, it was about being loved by Jesus 
hanging out with him and hanging out with people who love him. 2,000 years later, it still hadn't changed. Let us pray together. Loving God, you teach us, you lead us, you protect us, you forgive us. In life and death, we belong to you. We long for your Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our walk with you. Give us joy, peace, and patience as we learn more and more to place our full trust in you. Amen. Our closing hymn is Yezu, Yezu. It is a prayer hymn for us, and we invite uh, the new members of our church to join us as we sing. Let us stand together.